Hello, hello, hello. What a wonderful day that the Lord has made. I thank each of you for joining me today. I want to get right into today's sermon, so let us pray. Father God, in the name of your Son, Jesus, we give you honor. We give you praise, O God. We thank you for your continued exaltation of grace and mercy. Lord, prepare our hearts, prepare our minds to receive your word. Let truth stand tall in each of us as we proclaim ourselves as heir to your kingdom. Amen, amen, and amen. We have been wrapping up our spiritual warfare class that we've hosted over the last month. And this past Wednesday evening, we addressed the topic of why should we fight? Many Christians are living exceedingly comfortable lives and denounce embracing anything that would disrupt their comfort. As a matter of fact, they would blatantly declare anything that ruffles their feathers as ungodly. And I understand because it's so much easier just to go along with whatever and stay to oneself and say whatever or not say whatever just to maintain peace. A lot of people's mindset is, I know right from wrong, and it's my heart that God is looking at. Well, that mindset dismisses James 4.17, which tells us when you know the right thing to do or say, and you don't do or say it, then you have sinned. Some of you, I can just imagine, are asking, if Christ won the complete victory on the cross, why do we as Christians have to fight? He already won the battle. In Matthew 100 uh, verses 34 through 39, Jesus himself explains this. He says, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Scripture goes on and says a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. This scripture is basically letting us know that when you stand on the righteousness of God, you're going to ruffle some feathers. When you stand on the righteousness of God, sometimes you're going to have to stand against those you love. But you need to rest in knowing that when you stand for righteousness against unrighteousness, when it comes to those you love, you're choosing to love God. Now don't get it twisted. God's end desire is always peace. And he himself by definition is love. But to acquire the peace God has in store for each of us will require a disruption of what we have been deceived to embrace as peace. 
Let me explain what I'm talking about when I refer to deceptive peace. As I explain deceptive peace, I want to ask you a question. How can we as Christians, lovers of Christ, say that we love God but find peace and comfort in the midst of everything that goes against the mandate, the will, and the purpose of God, all without risking our comfort to make things pleasing to God? We bask in deceptive peace while all hell and damnation is breaking loose around us. And we say that we love God, but we don't do anything to align anything with his will, with his purpose. We don't say anything. We keep our mouth closed when we should speak. Matthew 10, 16 through 24 reads, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves, Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings and witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, don't worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father, his child, children, rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of me. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Truly, I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. The student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. That last line, a student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master, is letting you know that as much as they ridiculed Jesus and talked about him and crucified him, you're not above Jesus who is the teacher, nor are you above Jesus who is the master. Jesus talks about us being in opposing realms of the physical world and having to endure physical persecution. We have adopted the mindset that Jesus sacrificed his life and died for our sins and all we have to do is ask for forgiveness of our sins and he forgives us and life is then all peaches and cream. The problem with this kind of mindset is does not take into consideration that we can't just ask or expect God to forgive our sins without making a commitment to him. The gospel has been preached for so many years implying that salvation is a one-way street and that is simply not true. That is not what Jesus said. Referring back to Matthew 16, Jesus says, if you do not take up your cross and deny, deny yourself and be willing to die for your belief in me, you are not worthy of me. Jesus goes on to inform us he's going to give salvation to those who endure to the end. He makes no promise 
to give salvation and eternal life to those who don't endure. In other words, he makes no promise to give salvation and eternal life to those who are not willing to sacrifice, to those who are not willing to fight. Hebrews 3.14 reads, For we are partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. You know, we start off our walk with Christ on fire and ready to take on the world. Then we try to share the word of God with a few people and then we get some pushback, some opposition. And after this happens, two or three times we retire from our position in the kingdom and we make a silent vow to just go after the word of God for ourselves and not worry about others. This is equivalent to being knocked down and just laying on the canvas or crawling your way to the edge of the ring and forfeiting the fight. I'm here to tell you today you will never win a victory for the kingdom if you don't prepare yourself to go beyond round two. The mindset of I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I've asked him to forgive my sins. Now I am covered and ready to spend eternity in the kingdom of God is a mindset that is detrimental to your salvation. When you accept salvation, you have accepted the terms of the required commitment that is attached and it will require you to put on the armor of righteousness and fight. Let me break down the fight requirement of each of us as believers. See, this requirement was put in place when Satan adopted an attitude in heaven. See, he began to despise God before the creation of this world, which is why he was kicked out of heaven. And when he was evicted from heaven, Satan fell on the earth grounds. And then God came up with this big idea to create man. And so he did. And then he gave man an order to have dominion on earth. So, you know, Satan became even more ticked off with God because essentially God dismissed all authority Satan thought he had on earth. And he gave it to his most divine creation, man. And if you think that we're going to operate in dominion without having to fight Satan, you are sadly mistaken. And understand this, to walk in dominion will require that every chance you get to do what is right, every chance you get to speak up for what is right, it is required. When you don't, it is considered a sin because your lack of action, your lack of reaction, and your silence goes against the mandate of the dominion of which God has called us to walk in. Satan takes this very personal because the more you and I are committed to God, the more we are committed to the purpose and the mandate of God. And his biggest mandate again is for us to walk in dominion. So the closer you and I get to God, the more Satan hates us and is the more determined he is to destroy each of us, every chance he gets. So like it or not, you have been signed up for a fight. It's in your salvation contract. 
My question to each one of you today is are you going to prepare yourself to win? See, we fall on the wayside when it comes to training for the bout because to train properly takes persistence and discipline. I have been around professional fighters all my adult life and a champion perfects his skill by putting in the work, by disciplining not only his body but his mind and what he consumes, what he allows in his mind, what he allows in his space, what he allows to go in his body. A real fighter will rewind and play his previous bouts be they wins or losses, just to pinpoint his weaknesses. A real fighter will also view the previous fights of his opponents to lessen any surprise tactics that may catch him off guard in the bout. A fighter whose mind is set on victory will never tell those in the camp to watch the tapes of the fights for him and to bring him the report of their opinions, then begin to train and spar expecting a victory. But some of us depend solely on sermons and the word of God has ministered through others, never really taking the time to rewind the pages of the Bible and study them for ourselves. We have already determined that God has enlisted each of us in a fight when we accepted salvation. Let me explain how the ritual of champion fighters apply to the necessary rituals of Christians who expect to walk in victory against Satan. First, be willing to sacrifice time because again, persistence and discipline is the key for any fighter. Rewind the tapes of your bouts, your wins and your losses. Make notes of your strengths and weaknesses. Now evaluate each of them according to the mandate in the word of God. Make notes how to make your strengths greater and how to overcome your weaknesses that they may be your secret weapons. Remember, Satan studies us. He knows our weaknesses, which is why we have to overcome them. And when he thinks our weaknesses are his way in to destroy us, we will have revamped them as our secret weapons. If any of you know about the greatest fighter, Muhammad Ali. He had a technique they referred to as the rope-a-dope. It was a strategy that instead of moving around the ring, Ali chose to fight for extended periods of time, leaning back into the ropes in order to avoid many of his opponent's heaviest blows. And once his opponent had worn himself out physically, Ali would switch and fight for the victory and win. Satan has the ordinary everyday Christian figured out. He knows how to fight them, even make them think they're winning. Because he knows that when the bell rings and the final count is calculated and the judge of all judges calls the fight, the victory is his. I employ every blood-washed believer that is in love with Jesus I'm not talking about those who want to just have an affair with Jesus. I'm talking about those who are committed. Those that are ready to announce, for God I live and for God I die. Those who know without a shadow of a doubt that God is their right or die. If that is you, 
Prepare yourself on how to use the rope-a-dope on Satan. See, he has already grouped you with the lukewarm Christian. And in all honesty, you're no threat to him because he knows the Bible. He knows the word of God. He knows in Revelations 3, 15 through 17, that God says, since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because of these words of the King of Kings, Satan doesn't even consider you a real opponent for him in battle. Satan also knows what's in store for the Christian who walks in hypocrisy. See, because Matthew 6 and 1 says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So you're asking, how do I use the rope-a-dope tactic to win against Satan? Well, instead of running around the ring, from preacher to preacher, conference to conference, prophet to prophet, depending on a word from God to come through others. Discipline yourself to spend time each and every day with God in prayer. Then set aside time to study his word by topic. Why do I emphasize by topic? Because you're more likely to be drawn to the word of God when it speaks to your weaknesses. When you start to find and decipher answers to questions you always had. These two things, commitment to time in prayer, commitment to time to study the word of God is the rope-a-dope tactic for Satan because he doesn't know how to defend himself against those who spend time in the presence and in the word of God. Let us pray. Father God, in the name of your son, Jesus, we thank you. We thank you, O oh God, for access to salvation. We understand now more than ever that salvation is free, but a commitment is required. And we commit our lives to you as our savior. We accept our position as a warrior in your army. Forgive us, O oh God, for every time we knew the right thing to do or the right thing to say, and we did not do it, or we did not say it. Let this sin not be repeated as we renew our salvation commitment with you here and now. As we walk in the spirit of dominion, O oh God, strengthen us, keep us, give us the fortitude and the attitude to draw a multitude into your kingdom. Oh God, today to you we give glory. Today to you we give praise. Amen, amen, and amen. Thank you all once again for joining us. Please visit our website, www.bibledeliverance.org to give, to join our ministry, to ask questions and get answers to some of your many, many inquiries or to just have us partner with you in prayer. Bible Deliverance stands on the word of God, acknowledging that gray grass withers, flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. Have a blessed and anointed day.